All right. Well, good morning, and we're glad you're here with us. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, today, we're going to start a series called Take the Land, and that's our first series, of course, 2022. So uh, for the last time, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Okay, we're not going to do that again for another year. So there's that. All right. Well, today, I want to invite you on a journey along with me and also along with the Israelites. We're going to be walking through the journey of the Israelites going into the promised land. And here's what I want, here's why kind of doing this series and what I believe the reason that God takes us on this journey and he invites us on this journey and he invites the Israelites on this journey is for two primary reasons. And one is to know God better. And the second reason we'll discover is to make him known to the world. And just so happens to be, that is our purpose statement here at Brave. This is where we get this from, or at least a piece of it, but to know God better and to make him known to the world. And that is ultimately the reason why God took the Israelites through the promise, through the wilderness, into the promised land, so they would come to know him, but also so that he would be made known to the world. And I hope that you discover that in this journey. And so to do this, we're going to learn from a nation of people who were on a journey to take a hold of what's called the promised land. How many of you heard of the promised land? The, the land of promise, okay? In this series, we're going to see what we can learn about God from the journey and taking the land that God had promised to this nation. And along the way, I pray and believe that God's going to reveal some things to you and your life as well. And we're going to learn some faith lessons, some things that we can learn from this journey of this nation and what can we take from what they went through and take and apply it to our life? And then what does that look like for us? Now, how many of you have received a promise from God that you're supposed to take the land of Canaan? How many, how many of you guys have been told that? None of you. Okay. So you know that's not something you're probably going to apply. How many of you have been called to go tear down walls in Jericho? Well, none of you. So therefore, you're probably not going to be called to that. But we can extract and take lessons that they learned about God and who he was and his character and his power. And then we can take those things and apply them to our own life. And so uh, that's what I hope that you're able to do in this series. But I need you to know something about this journey before we get started. I do not know what God is going to tell you. So if you start this journey, maybe it's a journey. It's not like just a, a one talk here. This is a journey that I'm inviting you on in this series. I have no idea what God is going to tell you. So are you sure you want to go on the journey? The second thing I want you to think about is I have no idea how long this journey is going to take you. In other words, I do not know when you're going to reach your promised land. Are you sure you want to go on the journey? I don't know what God's going to tell you to do, and I don't know how long it's going to take you. But here's what I can promise you. If you go on this journey, all right, here's what I can tell you. God will unfold a plan to you that is greater than you could ever devise on your own. So he has a plan for you, and it's better than you can ever think or imagine. I believe that's absolutely true. And so today, I want to invite you on a journey. And I even felt like the Lord. I said, Lord, how long is this series? Because I need it. Lord, I, I got to know. Is it four? Is it five? What is it? And he said, I'm not going to tell you. 
because I'm inviting you, that is me, on the journey as well. I was like, oh, and I don't know how long I'm going to teach on this. He said, that's right. I just want you to follow me in a journey. I think 2022, for you and for me, for our church family, it's going to be a journey. Life is a journey, right? Following Jesus is a journey. But I think there's some faith lessons we're going to learn from this along the way. And one of the lessons right from the beginning, as I, as I teach on this, is when you decide to follow Jesus, he doesn't always tell you everything up front. Amen? Sometimes he just tells you what's happening that day, and that's about it. Just enough for the next step. We're going to find that to be a common theme as we learn about who God is and his character. So I want to invite you to open your Bible, Exodus 17. If you have your Bibles today or have your phone devices, Exodus 17. That's where I'm going to be teaching from. And I titled the message today, Lift Your Hands. Now, I could have titled the message, Let Me Lift Your Hands, or Let Someone Lift Your Hands, and that would still be appropriate. But I went with the shorter route, Lift Your Hands. All right, so here's some context for us before we dive into this journey. The nation of Israel is in slavery for over 400 years. They cry out to God to release them from slavery. Slaves being beaten, mistreated, overworked. There's no way to live, and they call out to God for help. God hears them. And we know from Scripture in Exodus chapter 3, God reveals himself to a man named Moses in the burning of a bush. And tells Moses, I want you to go set my people free. You know the song, right? Let people go. So he tells him, I want you to let them go and go save this nation. Now here's something you've got to know about Moses previous to that encounter. Previous to the encounter, Exodus chapter 1 and 2 you'll find some things that are interesting about this man that God chose named Moses. At least I find it very interesting. Number one, he was a Hebrew himself. He was a Jew himself. But ends up being adopted into an Egyptian family, Pharaoh, who's ruler of the palace. So this Jewish boy grows up in an Egyptian palace with everything you can imagine and all the toys and everything he ever wanted. One day at some point, he's decides to leave the palace, and he's walking outside, and he sees one of his own people, a Hebrew, a Jew, being beaten to death. Scripture says he's being beaten. Most likely, it's like a beaten-to-death kind of situation. And he gets fed up with it. He gets fed up with how they're treating his own people. And so he walks over, sneaks up on the guy, or maybe bull rushes him, and he kills the Egyptian who was beating up his fellow brother because he couldn't take it anymore. So what I want you to understand is Moses is a man of passion. You know, it's, I think passion and compassion are two words. Passion comes from compassion, right? You can't have compassion without passion. Well, passion or compassion forces involvement and action, which is what Moses does. He's so fed up with it, he can't stand it. He's got to do something about it, and he does it. That's the kind of guy he is. He doesn't just sit back and talk a good game. 
He actually does it. And he gets in there with his own hands and he starts to fight because he thinks that's the way that I've got to set these people free. I want you to hear me. The way to set the people free is by physical hand-to-hand combat. I'm going to kill them one person at a time. I'm going to set these people free. But he ends up wrong. He realizes pretty quickly when he kills this Egyptian that Pharaoh and every other person is going to be looking for him on a manhunt and wanting to kill him. And so he leaves. Forty years later, Forty years later, he is now serving as a shepherd of sheep. He goes out to the wilderness every single day, and he, all he hears every day is bam, bam, bam. Forty years of cleaning manure, stalls, hay, whatever they're feeding them. And the same stupid sheep runs off every day and he's got to go grab that sheep. And every day for 40 years, the idea of saving the Jews is gone at that point. Because at 40 years of tending to sheep, the dream is gone. After all, you're over 40. And if you're over 40, the dream is dead. Right? You're too old. It's not possible anymore. This is my life now. Finish the line. It is what it is. Right? This is where Moses is, I believe, when he meets God in the bush. Scripture teaches that this is what he's doing. He's just tending sheep, which is also interesting to me. Throughout Scripture, you'll find this about God. He rarely catches people who are lazy. He doesn't even call people who are lazy. Every time he called somebody, they were busy. So for all you lazy people, You're safe. You will never be called. If you are busy, be on the lookout. What were the fishermen doing when Jesus called them? Fishing. What was Elisha doing when God called them? Plowing. What was Moses doing when God called them? Tending sheep. What was David doing when God called them? Tending sheep. If you're busy, be ready. Busyness is an invitation of God's involvement in your life. I'm looking for people who work hard. I'm not looking for lazy people. Now, some of you are going to go home and try to get more lazy. (laughs) How can I be more lazy? This is where Moses is, and all of that serves a good setup so you can extract the faith lesson today. He's a man of passion. He's hardworking, he's over 40, and his dream of setting the Jews free is dead. And he attempted it by using his hands only, and it didn't work.
Okay. So God calls him to set him free, and after making some excuses, we know the excuses Moses made, right? We're really good at making excuses, aren't we? Can we all just get this out of our vernacular, out of our language for 2022? Ready? Say, but God. Okay, stop. You're never, you can never say it again in 2022. You know, but, but, but God. I don't have the ability, but I don't have the time. When you say, you, don't, you tell God you don't have time, do you know what you're essentially telling the creator? You didn't make enough time. And how stupid are we when we tell God he didn't make enough time? Well, God, you, you didn't make enough time. No, he, you have enough time. You just don't have the priorities in line. That's the difference. All right. So Moses makes some excuses. He tries to get out of the calling. Everyone who's ever been called by God to do something you didn't want to do, say amen. Okay, he gives excuses. I can't talk. Call someone else. I'm not educated enough. Why me? And he, even one of his excuses is, who do I tell them has sent me? Here's what Moses is really getting at. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. So uh, tell me more about this because I'm, I'm having a hard time believing it. I don't believe you. I can't talk. I'm not gifted enough. Then we're gonna care. I'm going to go back to the enemy. All of the potential excuses and his final excuse is, do you remember what he tells him? Send someone else. Get my brother Aaron. And God says, okay. Which, by the way, Aaron is also the guy who makes the golden calf which makes the whole thing fall apart. So, this is where Moses is. All right, Exodus chapter 17. Or actually, we're gonna go to verse 13 because I gotta show you this. So Exodus 13, 17, then I'll come to chapter 17. So just stay where you are in Exodus 17. I wanna read to you Exodus 13, verse 17 for just a moment. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter a whole series in of itself. For God said, if they face war, if you have a Bible, just, just note that down in your notes, because you have notes and you're taking notes. I know you are, because you're great students of the faith. So, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. In other words, God is saying they're going to face a battle, and if they face battles right now, they won't make it. They're going to have to go to war, and they're not ready for it yet. So God led the people around the desert road toward the sea, Red Sea, and the Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. So God used the desert to prove his power and build their faith. He was going to utilize the desert seasons in life in order to prove his power and build their faith. You're not ready for war yet, I've got to prepare you for war, so I've got to reveal myself to you and build your faith in the process. The battles in their journey would build trust. Did you know that battles build trust? The battles in 2021 that you fought hopefully only built your trust in God. He allows battles to build trust. All right. Exodus 17, verse 8. So they're on this mission 
to take a hold of the promised land. Exodus 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. I pause there because I want you to know up to this point there is no historical evidence that the Hebrews had ever been in a war before. They've been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt and never once fought a battle. Here's the point I want you to understand. They did not experience a war until they left to accomplish God's promises for their life. Here's the lesson I want you to learn in that. When you say yes to following the journey of Jesus, that is when the battles will begin. That's when all hell will break loose against you. Some of the greatest attacks from hell that you will ever face is following the moment you said yes to Jesus. Up until that point, they're not too concerned about you. That's a whole lesson. Here's how they were attacked. Deuteronomy 25, 17 says, remember when the Amalekites did to you, what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind and they had no fear of God. These are godless people. They have no fear of God, no reverence of God. And by the way, the enemy attacked you. Do you remember this? This is what the writer of Deuteronomy is saying. Do you remember this? When you were worn out and tired. Do you remember when 2021 came and you were worn out and tired? Those are often when the attacks from the enemy happen the most. When you're worn out and you're tired. Did anyone ever get worn out and tired of 2021? Some of you have been worn out and tired since 2020. Some of you, like me, since 1979. Amen. Still worn out and tired. Since the day you got married, worn out kids, worn out and tired. Jobs, worn out and tired. Just want you to know the enemy attacks when you're worn out and tired. So Moses, verse 9, 17, Exodus. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men to go out to the Amalekites tomorrow, and I will stand up on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. Now, This is the first time that Joshua is mentioned in Scripture. His birth name, you'll find in Numbers 13, which is Hoshea, all right? Hoshea, which meant salvation, but Moses ends up changing his name to Joshua. Numbers 13, 16 says, these are the names of the men of Moses sent to explore the land, and it says Moses gave Hoshea, the son of Nun, the name Joshua. And Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. You have to catch this. The reason why Moses changes his name to Joshua is, I know your name means salvation, but I'm changing it to Jehovah is salvation so that you would remember. In other words, listen to me. Before Joshua ever even goes into the battle promised land, God had Moses change his name to remember not only are you salvation, But Jehovah is salvation. In other words, when you go and fight these battles for me, remember who it is that's fighting for you. It was in his own name, the reminder that God would fight his battles and that God was his savior. That's why Joshua got a name change. 
Most of you didn't even know that. Joshua did. Joshua never forgot it. The reason why his whole name changed was to remember that God was Savior. So Moses tells Joshua something really interesting. He says, I'm going to the top of the hill. I love that. Because here's how foolish I am when I read the Bible. When I pause there, I'm like, what? That's jacked up. That's the first thing I think of when I read the Bible in certain moments. You ever read something like, that's messed up. You tell me to go fighting and you're going to the top of the hill? What about you, bro? That's messed up. Is anyone like me at all find that messed up? Joshua, go, man. I'm going to go to the top of the hill, you know, at the top. But you go, man. You go. Take care of that for me. Isn't that weird? Anyways, anybody find that? I find that. Man, that's messed up, Moses. So he says he's going to go to the top of the hill with the staff of God, which is more frustrating if you're Joshua. Because the staff of God was used to perform great miracles. If you read Exodus 17, 1 through 8, you'll see this amazing miracle where Moses takes the staff of God, strikes a rock, and what comes out of it? Water. So this is like the weapon of God, and you're taking that with you to the top of the... Bro, if you're not going to come, at least give me the staff. Moses is like, no. I'm going to go to safety and take the promise of God with me, like the weapon of God. But Mo, Josh, you, you go, bro. I changed your name, man. God, God save you. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Thank you, Moses. Reads the story a little differently, doesn't it? Okay, verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of this hill. Verse 11. And as long as Moses held, his, held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. For many years, I would read this and think, there was some reason why he's holding his hands. And I'm sure you've maybe heard of this, maybe you haven't heard of this, but he's holding his arms up. Maybe it's symbolic. When you get into the Jewish culture and understanding that men who prayed, would lift their hands. It was a way that they would pray. Their hands would be lifted. So it's not like just something symbolic where he's just holding his hands up just as some sign. I propose, and convinced by this, that he's in prayer, right? I mean, he's just, he's in prayer. He's in the posture of prayer, which his hands are lifted. The staff is in his hands. God's promise is in his hands. So modern day, he's holding this. This is our sword. This is our weapon. This is God's promise right here, modern day. And this is his posture. In prayer, as Joshua's fighting the enemy. He's not just cheering Joshua on. Come on, Joshua. Oh, man, Joshua. Here's what's interesting. He's, he's, he's in prayer, and when you realize that he's in prayer, he's confessing his total dependency on God. He's trusting in God's full authority that God would fulfill his promise, and he's praying. 
for his people. But when he stops praying, what happens? Come on, class. Somebody tell me. They start losing. When he prays, they, when they stop praying, they, that's fascinating when you think about it. That's a lesson that we've got to learn. This led me to a question. He's watching the battle. He's praying. They're winning. Then he stops praying and they start losing. So he starts praying again. And the scripture at least kind of lends itself to this idea. At some point, he stops praying again, which is more messed up of Moses. Not only did you take God's promise with you and go to the top of the hill, you're toying with us like a light switch off and on. Are you understanding this? So he's praying and he's watching them win. It's like, whew, I'm tired. I'm stop praying. Then they start losing. Oh, I gotta stop praying again. Here's the question I have. Moses, why are you stopping to pray? Moses, why did he stop? That's messed up. He's watching them lose and Sorry, guys. Give me a minute. And he goes back to praying. They're winning. And he stops praying. And then they lose. At that point, I'd be highly frustrated with Moses. Gosh. So why? Next verse tells us why Moses stopped praying. All right. When Moses' hands grew tired. Do you remember when they were first attacked? Tired and weary. When he grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat him on it. Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady. In other words, that he would remain in a posture of prayer. Just in case you're wondering, no, it's because he's holding his hands up, and you can't do that too long. You know, it's his arms grow tired. No, I don't think it was Moses' physical strength that was an issue at all. Here's why I say that to you. Deuteronomy 34 verse 7 says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak. I'm 42 and I can't even see without my glasses, okay? And it says, nor his strength was gone. What I'm proposing to you today is that Moses was not a physical issue of why his hands were growing tired. That's going to be very important to us in our faith lesson. It was not because he couldn't hold his hands up. He was 120 years old, and not an ounce of strength had left the man. So why did his hands get tired? Why did his arms get tired? I propose to you it's because how he was praying. Let that resonate with you. It was how he was praying that made him tired. It was not his physical incapability. Is that he prayed so hard, he got tired.
There's a picture of this in Colossians 4.12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, is a servant of Christ Jesus, and he sends his greetings, Paul writes. And he is always wrestling in prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I heard a quote, and I want to read it to you. In prayer, it's better to have heart without words than words without a heart. Here's the greatest tension I find in this story of Moses. And when I read it, or when I thought about it, I should say the Holy Spirit maybe put it in my thoughts. It scares me when I think of what I'm about to propose to you. I mean, it absolutely terrifies me in a way, in a healthy way, but it also terrifies me, to be honest. Life and death was dependent on his prayer life. I'll go a step further. Not only his life, the life and death of other people would be determined by his prayers or lack thereof. That is, you ever felt like you had a heavy weight placed on you? Okay, let me make it more real to all of you in a way that you're going to go, okay, I can feel that one now. The life and death of your own children is in the power of your prayers or lack thereof. Can you imagine understanding that my prayers are determining your victories and your defeats? And this is really gets very theological too, and I understand, like, but God is sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to do. And that's true. God is sovereign, but he always invites us into the journey. And honestly, after 15 years of ministry, I still don't fully understand exactly how my prayers work. And please don't call me and tell me you do because you'll be wrong, okay? Like, it's, it's interesting how God orders steps, but then he uses our prayers and somehow that can affect what happens and doesn't happen. The history of the nation of Israel was depending on one man praying. How much more is your family dependent on you praying? And if we understood this lesson that God is teaching the Israelite nation as they go and take the promised land, you better understand the importance of you praying because it matters a lot. And not just praying like before the dinner time, praying to the point that you're exhausted. Real prayer requires work. It's labor. People often say, what do you do all day long? I'm like, man, I spent two hours praying today, you know. Well, pff, that was awesome, man. I wish I could do that. 
you don't understand wrestling in prayer for sheep. Wrestling in prayer. It's exhausting. Have you ever, anyone ever prayed just so hard you were exhausted? Okay, no, no, no. This is time for teaching. Forget everything else. This is like the most important thing. Have, I need to know. Raise your hand. It's okay if you haven't. I just want to know. Have you ever prayed so hard that you were tired from it? Lift your hands high. Okay? If your hand isn't lifted, please do this. Why? That's what I hear God's cry. Why? Because Satan has robbed you of understanding the importance of it. You've become to believe that prayer is just a formality, a religious duty. And when you have time, when you get to it, you will. But when you're watching your family live or die based on your prayers, it will make you wrestle. And Moses loved his nation. And at one point he thought, I will save them through my own hands. But he couldn't. Because it wasn't a physical war he was fighting, it was spiritual. That's why it wasn't just physical for Moses, it was spiritual. But it doesn't remove the physical because he sends Joshua. Josh, you go tear the physical and I'll take care of the spiritual. But both are necessary to accomplish the victory. If you want to take a hold of God's promises for your life, it'll require wrestling in prayer and your participation and physical involvement. It's a wonderful lesson to teach the Israelite nation before they go to war. The first lesson they learn is, you better understand the importance of prayer. Because everything hinges on it. It's an amazing lesson. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Why? Because Joshua would later on be the one who takes him into the promised land. So make sure, Moses, Josh hears this one. Because he's going to remember this. This is his first war he's going to fight, but it's not going to be his last. So he's got to remember this. I'll completely blot out the name of Amalek and under heaven. So Moses built an altar and called the Lord is my my banner, Jehovah Nisi, because hands were lifted up. Because the hands were lifted up. Because the hands were lifted up. Can I tell you and encourage you to lift your hands this year? Lift your hands. Everything hinges on you lifting your hands. Against the throne of God, the Lord will be at war against your enemy. Can I read it to you that way? When your hands are lifted, the the Lord goes to war against your enemy. When your hands are lifted. But when your hands are in your pocket, the enemy begins to win. But when your hands go up, the enemy begins to lose. This is why Paul told the church, pray 
Come on, church, say it with me. Come on, encourage me this morning. Pray without ceasing. Because the moment you cease in prayer is the moment the enemy starts to get a little ground on your life. So you've got to remain in a posture of prayer in such a way that you pray without ceasing. And every once in a while, you pray to the point that it is exhausting. You're physically labored from it. Here's the faith lesson. In order to take a hold of God's promises for your life, you will need to pray until you're tired. And you'll need others to lift your hands when you get tired. This is why God formed the church, the body of Christ. You will need other people to lift your hands when you're tired. One of the reasons why so many people walk out on their faith or stop growing in their relationship with God is number one, they got tired and they asked no one to lift their hands because they were too prideful. You need others to fulfill God's promises for your life. If God is going to fulfill the promises through this church, it's going to require many people, and it has so far, and it will continue to do so. So here's what we're going to do. I'm making a couple of invitations to you. That's all this is. It's just an invitation on the journey. As a church, with this faith lesson, knowing this lesson, the lesson is clear, amen? The lesson is clear. We've got to pray. Prayer is essential. Number one, every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., we pray. We provide an opportunity, a place for you to have free child care to come and pray so you can't, like Moses, have an excuse, but I need child care. Amen, church. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to belong to a community of people who are willing to say, let me watch your children so you can pray. Because that's what the people in this church are saying when they watch your children so you can pray. Because all week long, you say, I can't pray because I have children and I'm too busy. So God says, oh yeah, I'll hire some people. I'll get some people. I'll call some people to watch your children so you can pray. And I know you got a lot of other excuses. But let me remind you, every time that excuse comes to your forefront of your mind, I hope this burns in your mind. Life and death of others is contingent on our prayer life. The spiritual life and spiritual death of so many are contingent on you praying. Your own children, your friends, your brothers and sisters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And I'm not saying that you're God and when we pray, everything we say happens. But somehow it's clear to me that God uses our prayers to defeat our enemies and to accomplish his purposes. Two is first Tuesdays. Every first Tuesday of the month, we're going to have prayer and worship over at church offices. Every first Tuesday. That means there's going to be 12 of them. And now you know which ones they are. So you can calendar us in for the first Tuesday in September. Are you busy the first Tuesday of September? Anyone here? Okay, good, perfect. I'll see you all there. You get my point to you? If you're busy the first Tuesday in September, go ahead and jot us down for the one in November. Can you do that? How about the one in June? The one in May? All I'm saying to you is, ready? 
it's not so we get attendance and I get bonuses the more people who attend our prayer times in our church offices. I do elders not give me bonuses to get more people. Amen? No, they don't. See, the reason I want you in prayer with other people is because I know on the journey you're going to get tired. So we've intentionally put 12 of these into our process and our who we are as a church family because you're going to get tired and weary. And so these prayer times are times that you get to gather with other people who can lift your hands when you're tired and weary so that you can continue fighting so that the enemy continues losing and you continue winning. That's the reason we do it. And yet the enemy wins so many times. I'm convinced on those Tuesdays. And oh, by the way, don't forget the moment you start trying to go towards God's promises is the first time you'll face battles. So go ahead and put an asterisk on the calendar of every first Tuesday and know there's going to be a battle that day. Flat tires, not feeling great, argument with spouse. There will be something trying to distract you and pull you. Man, hope you get it. Number three, community groups. We'll start our community groups. Uh, Sign-ups next week. We're going to start community groups up again. The whole point of community groups is community, people. It's to gather. It's to pray with one another. So when you grow tired and weary, others lift your hands. And certainly in our community groups, we're going to pray together. And then the last one is our altar ministry. Phil, Megan, if you'd come down front. We're going to sing a song. And today we want to lift your hands. Would you stand to your feet? And uh, every week we want to pray with you. So we're down here front. On your communication card, there's prayer requests. You can jot your prayer requests there too. We want to pray with you. So we're going to be down front in the song. If you need somebody to lift your hands and pray with you, let's pray now. Let's pray together. Let's pray as we sing. I love you all. Let's pray. Amen.
We will no longer, keep your hands up. A 120-year-old man kept him up for a long time. You can do it. No longer in this church will we think that our prayers are so insignificant that we don't need someone else to pray them with us. We will forever know this story and this lesson that we are taught in Scripture by God that we need others to lift our hands and pray with us. And there is proud power when two or three come together and pray, there the presence of God is. How many people were together when the Israelites were fighting? Three. Joshua, Moses, I mean Moses, Aaron, and her. All three coming together, praying together for Joshua on the battlefield. So as your hands are lifted up, keep your hands lifted. You can do it, church. I believe in you. God, strengthen their arms. I'm going to pray with you now. Every prayer that is lifted up in this room, Father, Lord, provide the answer. Provide the direction. Provide the healing. You are a great and mighty God. Our victory is in your hands. You are able to do all things. You hear every heart, every cry, every plea, every hope. We lift up every child in our church family. Or they would come to know you. And no attack of the enemy would come against them to destroy the plan that you have for their life. In Jesus' name. Every sickness would go. Father, we pray for healing, freedom, the marriages, the love between couples would grow and flourish. Purpose would come. Power would come to accomplish your will for our lives. Jesus, let your will be done in this church. Kenny's going to come up and close us out. We are here together, church, to pray with you. On your communication card, there's a spot that you can write down your prayer request. We're going to be praying with you. We are here. Please don't let this thing be empty. When it's empty down front, what is telling you you can't come down front? And if it's social distance, just stay a couple feet back and be like, hey, pray with me this. You understand? We just can't let the enemy win. That he's taught our church, that somehow our church thinks that we don't need to come down here and pray in front. How could this ever be empty? You have prayers. You are fighting for your own spiritual life and the spiritual life of others. We're not going to do it anymore. Amen. We're going to be okay to pray together. Amen. Why do we come together as a church if we can't pray together? That's the whole purpose of a church, is to pray together. That's what they did in Acts 2. That's what they did in the first battle. We've got to pray together. Pray for each other. Be encouraged by one another. All right, Kenny. Thank you, Pastor. So if you're, you're praying, please continue to pray. We're going to stay.